This is uh, the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus began uh, to teach beside the sea. A very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the, on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around, uh, around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who... When they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for your, your word that is a powerful seed that you sow into our hearts and minds and it grows and it grows roots and bears fruit in us. We long for that. May you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit even in this time right now. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are beginning uh, Mark uh, chapter 4, which contains a number of Jesus' uh, most famous parables. Parables are kind of short illustrations or stories. They're kind of like puzzles or riddles that are not really clear what they mean at first. And you kind of puzzle over them and they reveal the truths about who God is and about God's kingdom. And today we are looking at what's been called the parable of the sower. And it's a parable about how different people are going to have different responses to Jesus' message, to the gospel. 
And you might say, why is Jesus telling this parable to his disciples? Well, it's because Jesus' disciples are about to go out into the world and share the gospel with people, and he's preparing them that people are going to have different responses. There are going to be some people who hear it, and they just eat it up, and they're like, wow, this is so interesting. I want to learn more. This has such an effect on my life. And there's just a fire and a hunger for it. And then there's like, other people are going to be like, I don't really care, and I'm not interested. And... Uh, and so he's preparing them uh, for that, and, I, and he doesn't want them to be discouraged. And I know that's, you know, uh, helpful to me as a pastor, for us as pastors. You know, people are going to respond differently to the same message. And in fact, uh, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' own ministry was the same. We've seen in uh, the first three chapters of Mark that people have been responding very differently to Jesus. There's some people who, when they heard his message, they just left their jobs and everything and just followed him. They say, I want to be your disciple and follow you. And there's other people who say that he's evil and he's satanic and he casts out demons out of people because he's evil. I mean, it's just very starkly different responses. And so if Jesus doesn't win everyone, we're not going to win everyone either. And, uh, And so he's preparing us for that. So today... We're going to look together at the parable of the sower, and we're going to answer three simple questions about this parable. And this is, this is what the three questions are. What does the parable say to the speakers of the gospel, people who are speaking the gospel to other people? What does the parable say to people who are hearers of the gospel? And then what does the parable say about Jesus? Okay, so three things. What does it say to... Speakers of the gospel, those who are speaking the gospel, those who are hearing the gospel, and what does it say about Jesus? I think there's so many insights in this parable. We're just going to scratch the surface on the depths of uh, this teaching from our Lord. So, three questions this morning. The first is this. What does it say to the speakers of the gospel, people who share their faith, speak the gospel to other people? And, and this parable uses the illustration of a sower who's spreading seed all over a field, and Jesus said that these seeds are his word, the word of God or the gospel that's, that's going out. And so you wonder, who then is the sower who's spreading the seed all over? Well, you know, it could be Jesus who's spreading his seed all over the world. Or it could be these disciples who are going to be the leaders of the early church that are going to spread the seed. Or it's just Christians in general. I mean, that's generally how people have come to know the love of Christ is because they've known someone who's known Christ who's shared it with them. And so it really applies to to all of us who are sharing our faith with people. And I want to point out three insights from our Lord about speaking the gospel. What wisdom does this parable give to speakers of the gospel? And a few insights that I want to point out. So the first bit of wisdom is be simple. Be simple. You see that in verse 2 where it says, And he was teaching them many things in parables. The way Jesus, as the sower, sows his word is he uses these little parables, short, strange, surprising, simple illustrations. And I think, you know, one of the things about these parables, even if we just had the first half of the parable about a sower spreading seed and we didn't have the interpretation after, you'd probably hear the parable and have more questions after the parable than before because that's almost what he does is he's not giving you answers. He's leading you into more questions. They're kind of mysterious. And I know for me, you know, throughout the years when I've had the opportunity to share my faith, it's like I've been thinking about this for 20, I've been a Christian 25 years. I read the Bible all the time. I talk to you all about it all the time. I give sermons. And it's like there's so much knowledge. You just want to dump it all over people. And it's just too much. And, I, you know, I know that even in sermons, uh, there's kind of a rule of thumb in sermons that you want to leave people wanting more. 
You know, you want them to be at the end of the sermon feeling like, oh, I wish it kept going. You don't want them to be like, that should have ended 10 minutes ago. You know, that, that, and it's the same for all of us. Someone shows a little bit of interest in our faith and we just dump on them everything. And, and uh, parables aren't like that. Parables leave people saying, Jesus, I want more. I'm more interested. I'm intrigued by what you're saying. And that means we don't have to say everything. Be simple. And in fact, parables are kind of mysterious. They don't answer all the questions. And I think that's, that's an encouragement to me that it frees us as Christians to talk less, listen more, to not be pushy about the things we believe in. So the first insight about speaking the gospel is be simple, don't say everything, leave many things unsaid and unexplained, and let those who are hungry pursue more. That's what Jesus is doing. He's finding out who's hungry, who wants wants more. Okay, but uh, related to that is the second insight about speaking about the gospel is use stories. Be simple, use stories. The best way to be simple is through stories. And how many of you think during sermons, I wish there were more sermons or more stories in the sermon because the stories draw me in and I can engage with them. And the reason we don't have more stories is because we're not as good preachers as Jesus was. Jesus basically all I did was tell stories because he's the master and we're not that good yet. So, um, and, you know, we'll find that, you know, when we're hanging out with people, if you have a dinner with a group of people or you're spending an evening together, what do you do the whole time? You're just telling stories. That's like what humans do. It's like how we hang out is you tell stories. And, um, and I think that the best way for us to share our faith is as we tell the stories of our life, this is just who we are. We th- our Christian life shapes everything about our relationships. And, you know, this is what happened at church. Or I had this thing going on and God, you know, I prayed to God about it. Or, you know, I just think God's in control of the world and I trust him. Or I think, you know, all people are sinners. They're broken and so that really impacts my relationships and how I relate to people, you know, that we're all, we're all kind of imperfect. And, uh, and people will know whether we're just saying that to evangelize them or because this is just really who we are. And a good example of this I've heard recently, there's a podcast I listen to called At the Table, which is a um, Pat, Patrick Lencioni, he does like business, you know, writes business books. And he's got this podcast about, you know, how to have a, you know, healthy work environment. And he's, and he'll often just drop in and, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. And, you know, so the Bible says you got to have both grace and truth. And so, you know, that's what you need in the workplace. And they'll go into why you need grace and truth in the workplace. And it's just, it's not, he's just saying, this is, this is who I am. And it's just kind of dropping in and I'm not afraid, I'm not going to hide that. And it really shapes everything that I do. Um, and what comes, when it comes out in stories that we ta- tell about ourselves, you find that you'll talk about Jesus and God all the time. And it's not because you're pushing it on people. It's just saying, this is who I am. I'm just being myself. And you don't have to believe like I do, but this is who I am. And in my experience is that people respect that. They think, you know, it's cool. Like, oh, it affects your family. It affects your community. You go to this church, and you, uh, that's interesting. And it becomes a gentle invitation. Now, Jesus is really the master of this because his parables are stories where he doesn't even mention God. If you read them, God's not one of the characters in the parable. Now, everyone senses this parable is about God, and God is one of the characters, and I have to kind of figure out where God is in the story. Um, But it's so disarming. It welcomes people in. 
And so, so what does this parable say about how we speak about the gospel? It's first, be simple. Use stories. But the third thing is, be intentional. And the parable begins in verse 3 and says, he says in verse 3, Listen, a sower went out to sow. The sower who's spreading the seed knows that he has a job to do, and he went out to do the job. There's an intentionality about that. Now, if you're like me, you probably think, well, I don't like it when people are jamming their beliefs down my throat. I, I don't like it when people do that to me. I don't want to do that to other people. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. If I don't like that, I'm not going to do that to other people. And so, though, as a result, because we don't want to be pushy, which I think is good, you need to be we're respectful of people, we end up, never end up talking about what we believe in and what's so treasured in our hearts. But it's clear in the Bible that if you're a follower of Christ, we have a responsibility to talk about our faith to others. And I don't think this means we have to be obnoxious to people who are uninterested in Christianity. But it does mean that God intends to use us to gather his people to himself. He has people out there who don't know him yet. God has sent the sowers out to sow. Just as a farmer knows he has work to do, we need to have that same intentionality. And especially as a church, if we're going to be a community that doesn't just exist for us, like the love of Christ is just for us. No, the love of Christ has shaped us, and it's for the people in Whatcom County. We're an open community. We want more people to, be, to know him and to know his love. So if we are not going to be just for ourselves, this has to be a part of our life together. So what does the parable say about those who speak the gospel? Be simple. Use stories. Be intentional. And there's probably more that we could say about the speaker of God's word, but the majority of this parable really isn't about people speaking the gospel. It's much more about the hearer, the person who's hearing the gospel. And so that leads to our second question. What does this parable say to the hearer of the gospel? And uh, in the parable of the sower, the hearers of the gospel are the different kinds of soil that the seed falls on. And I mentioned that there are six kinds of ground that the seed falls on. And I don't think we can read this parable without also asking ourselves, which kind of soil am I? There's six kinds of soil, which one, which one am I? Or which mixture of the soils am I? And um, the first three of the soils are give warnings uh, for those of us who are hearers. And so I want to talk about each of those warnings. What warnings does Jesus give to, to being a hearer of God's word in the gospel? So three warnings, okay? The first warning is beware of Satan. Beware of Satan. And I know that many modern people might hear that and say that sounds superstitious, that Christians believe there is an evil intelligence that is trying to keep me from knowing God. But Jesus clearly thought that was the case. Uh, you see it there in, in verse 4. It says, And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And then if you skip down to verse 15, it says Jesus gives an explanation. He says, These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the birds are Satan. Now, if you're new to Christianity or considering the gospel, you might think of yourself as like, you know, well, basically I'm a reasonable person. And I'll hear about Christianity, the arguments for it, the arguments against it, and I might accept it or reject it based on my logic. And, um, 
especially in recent years, psychologists have confirmed that that is not how people decide what they believe in. People largely do not use reason to decide what they believe in. They use their reason to defend what they already believe in. You know, we use it to justify the things we believe in. It's kind of like when you're in an argument. Do you use your reason to say, you know, I'm going to decide which side of this argument I'm on? You know, with your spouse, you're in an argument with your spouse. No, you know which side of the argument you're on. And you're using your reason to defend your position. And it, the, your reason is like a lawyer. And so where then do, do your deep beliefs come from? They don't come from reason. They come from a much deeper place, from our, what we feel in our gut, what resonates from us, from an emotional level, from a spiritual level. It's what the Bible calls from the heart. What we believe in comes from the heart. And there is a spiritual activity happening within all of our hearts. And C.S. Lewis talks about the role of, of Satan in our ability to hear God's truth. And he says, you know, in the, in the modern world, uh, uh, say, you, know, we, um, you know, the way that Satan keeps us from the truth is not by using dark magic or temptations to do great evil. Uh, in the modern world, Jesus, uh, the way Satan works is he simply wants to distract us. And so right when we're like, you know, I think I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to try praying. And you sit down to read the Bible, and then you be like, you know, I didn't have lunch yet. I should have lunch before I read the Bible. And then you go have lunch, and you're like, I need to water the plants. And then you go water the plants. And you would never think eating lunch and watering the plants was Satan. He's fine with that. As long as that goes on day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, until we've totally forgotten about God and we've just gone on with our life, that is exactly what he would want. And he would be glad for us to not believe that he's even there doing that. He is distracting us. That's what it means that Satan is the bird that comes and takes this, the, the seed of the word and takes it away. And so if we're going to be hearers of the word, we must be guarded against the distractions of the evil one. Beware that we, uh, of never getting around to thinking about the claims of Jesus. Okay, so the first warning, beware of Satan. Spiritual warning. Second, beware of shallowness. The second warning is to beware, uh, uh, beware of shallowness. And you see that there in verse 5 where it says, Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. And if you skip down to verse 16, it gives the, the explanation. It says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And so this next person is a person who hears the gospel and they accept it, they're excited about it. But because the depth of the faith has not worked deep roots in their hearts, when hardship comes, they abandon the faith and they say, basically, this isn't what I signed up for. I thought I was going to have Jesus in my life and my life was going to be happy. He was going to bless me and God was going to bring good things into my life. And then now I have these difficulties that I'm facing. That is the shallowness that Jesus is talking about. And maybe you have a temptation towards that. You know, you look at the Bible, you're like, wow, that's a big book. There's a lot to think about in there. And you've got to 
think about these sermons and theology, and I have to think about my own heart and like how my mind thinks and how my heart acts, and i got to tie all these things together. It sounds like a lot of work, and I'm not sure I want to think through all of that. If we have that posture, that will create a shallowness in us. People with mature faith have thought through the many implications of the gospel in their lives, and particularly how the gospel speaks to times of suffering. Um, they've thought through, oh, the gospel is about my Lord dying on the cross. The one I'm following dies on the cross, and he says I have to die with him. I have to die to my old self and, and so that I can live with him. I don't get to not die. I don't get, God, you know, I have to take up my cross and follow him. Or the Bible says that God has appointed all the suffering I will experience in this life, and it is uh, for his own purposes that are only goodness and love. Even the hardest things that I've faced in my life. These are deep truths. And if, the, if our faith is only Jesus loves me and wants me to be happy, and you've never thought through the thousand mysterious and deep ways that Jesus loves us, because he will love us in ways that we didn't want to be loved. He will do things in us that we didn't want him to do. It's far more mysterious. Then trials will come, and instead of them leading us deeper into the heart of Christ, they will drive us away from him. And so that's the warning about shallowness. So Jesus, Jesus says you have, to, you have to beware of Satan, you have to beware of shallowness. The third warning is to beware of worldliness. And you see that in verse 7, where it says, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the explanation is in, in verse 18 where it says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And so you see the emphasis is that worldliness makes a person unfruitful. I'll tell you, that's an important warning for us, especially living in a place like Bellingham, because actually there's a guy in the first service who's a, a nurse who's on a, a, a rotation, his second rotation in Bellingham, he's a traveling nurse, and he's like, yeah, I came here once, and then I wanted to come back here again, because this is, place is paradise. I want to live here, and actually uh, my son, uh, Will, he, he just turned 16, he was getting a uh, checking account, and the banker at the bank was, uh, he had been in the Coast Guard, and Will wants to go into the Coast Guard, so he's asking him about the Coast Guard, and the guy said, oh yeah, you get to live all over the world, and I lived in, in uh, Croatia, and it's so beautiful, but he said, but all of the places I lived in the world, Bellingham's the most beautiful. And so we live in paradise. We have all kinds of things to distract us from God. And Jesus is warning that it's common that the desires of the world, recreation, wealth, Success, even romance, will choke out the fruitfulness of the gospel in a person's life. And you might, uh, some of you might hear that and say, you know, the Bible's always doing that. It doesn't want us to enjoy the good things in the world. We're just supposed to think about God and spiritual things. We're not supposed to enjoy the, what about all these things that God made? God made Bellingham and the, the mountains and the, the sea. Doesn't he want us to enjoy those things? And absolutely, the Bible is filled with prayers of praise to God for his abundant goodness to us. And actually, uh, um, there's a great verse in 1 Timothy 4 that says this. It says, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. 
for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. See what he's saying? Like, we're supposed to enjoy all those things, but they're supposed to lead us to God. That's what thanksgiving is. The gift is supposed to lead us to the giver of the gift, the one who created, that we would know him more deeply. And the way we learn that is by the seed of the word that makes all these things holy. They, they turns all these things to lead us to know the creator who made all these beautiful and good things. And so this isn't to shame people for enjoying the world, but it is a statement of fact that some seeds fall on the ground where the person hears the word and they believe and they could have lived a life immensely useful to God's purposes, but they loved money and recreation and worldly success more. And that's where all of their time and their energy and their talents and gifts and all their money went to those things. And so we can't read this passage without asking, are any of those soils me? A mixture of those soils me. Is it satanic distraction? Is it shallowness? Is it worldly enjoyments? And if we do recognize those things in us, then the question is, well, uh, what should I do about it? If I'm that kind of soil, like, how do I not be that kind of soil? And that leads to our final question that we're looking at today, is what does this parable say about Jesus? What does this parable say about Jesus? And you see how the parable ends in verse 8. It says, and other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And then the explanation down in verse 20 says, but those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And so the first three kinds of soil are a warning, and then the, the second three, the 30, 60, 100, are, are the positive kind of vision of the soil. And it seems uh, that Jesus is saying, um, when you tell people the gospel, you know, the results are going to be, some will be disappointing and some are going to be fruitful. It's going to be a mixture. And uh, several years ago, I, I remember uh, we had our, uh, I was at a presbytery meeting, which is a gathering of pastors and churches in our, in our region, and uh, there was a man who's going to become a pastor, and he was telling his testimony as a part of his ordination exams. And he said that when he had become a Christian, he became a Christian as an adult, and he had a friend who became a Christian with him, and they came to this parable very early on, and they prayed together, Lord, would you make me that kind of soil that has a hundredfold fruitfulness? I want to be that. It's a great prayer. And what he's getting at is, I think, the answer to how do you become the fruitful ground. And the answer is, I want to give two answers, actually. How you become the fruitful ground is that Jesus is the gardener and Jesus is the seed. I want to talk about each of these briefly. First of all, Jesus is the gardener. When you think about these three kinds of soil that don't produce fruit, what do they need? Soil can't fix itself. How does the soil become better soil? It needs a gardener. To come and help the soil. And so you think about the gardener comes and scares off the birds that are, you know, the satanic birds that are taking away. You need a gardener to scare off the birds and protect the seed. Or the, the ground that's rocky. We have these rocks in us. You know, for many of us, the reason our hearts are hard is because there are things that have happened to us in our life. that we say, you know, I'm not going to let people hurt me anymore. And there's a, there are rocks. It's a form of self-protection. And so it's not so much that I'm afraid to go deep into the faith. I'm afraid of Jesus coming deep into me. 
And so uh, that fear, who is the one who's going to take away the rocks of the soil? It is Jesus who comes and breaks up the hard ground. Or you think about, oh yeah, my life is obsessed with worldly things, with money and with success or with recreation. How does that change? Well, you need a gardener to come rip out the thorns that are choking the plant. And that's what Jesus does. That often happens in our lives. These things that I cared most about that were keeping me away from God, he had to take away. And it wasn't until he took them away that my life opened up to serve the Lord. And so you can't make yourself good soil. The first is that Jesus is the gardener. But the the second thing that we also see is that Jesus is the seed. The seed that is planted in us is Christ himself. This passage says the seed is the word, and the word is the message about Jesus, uh, the message of Christ. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, on the night before Jesus was crucified, there were these Greek foreigners who came and said, we want to meet Jesus, and we want to talk to him. And Jesus says, a seed cannot bear fruit unless it dies and is buried in the ground. And basically what he's going to say is, I'm the seed that's going to die the next day, and he's going to be buried, and then he's going to be raised from the dead, and he's going to produce all this fruit in the the world. And the thing that's interesting about seeds is seeds seem so weak to us. You know, uh, I don't know if, how many of you garden? I've tried gardening. This is one thing I learned. I'm not a good gardener, but uh, one of the things that I learned, I I was going to start a garden once, and I went to one of the nurseries, and they said, you can either use seeds or you can use starts. And if you're going to use seeds, you've got to, you know, buy all these lamps and, you know, help the seed get going because it's so weak and so gentle and you have to be so delicate. If you really want, you know, just put a start in the ground, it's much stronger. And so a seed is weak and, you know, that's what Jesus is like. He's from Nazareth. It's like, you know, nobody town. He was spit on and beaten and he was crucified. He seemed so weak. But then also seeds are powerful. I mean, you look at this world filled with forests and filled with life. Where do all that plant life and vegetation all over the glo- you know, God's good green earth come from? It comes from seeds. And all the animals that are crawling all over the world, where do they all come from? Well, they have to eat plants that come from seeds, or they eat animals that ate plants that came from seeds. But it all comes from seeds. And then you look at the human race, billions of people, the cultures and the cities, and all the energy of human life, where does it all come from? We're eating plants or we're eating animals that come from seeds. The seed is powerful. And it's this strange combination of weakness and power that is exactly what we see in Jesus. That's how he is. And that's how the gospel works in our lives. Jesus comes with this simple, this message that is simple, yet he has these cryptic stories that draw us in, but he's also intentional. He wants to sow the seed in us. And despite the obstacles of satanic distraction and shallowness and worldliness, he comes as a good gardener so that he can plant himself way down deep in us. And through his power, we might live a life bearing fruit to God. And so what a hopeful picture. Lord, make us that good ground and plant your seed among us that it might grow and the the roots of your love might grow deep in each of our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word, and uh, Lord, we pray that the good gardener would come among us, pull out the rocks, beat away the birds, tear out the thorns, and uh, Lord, we pray that 
the roots of your love would grow deep into our hearts and minds. And in this place, we would be like a field, a garden, abundant with, with fruit and life to serve you and to love our neighbors. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.